0: You're listening to The Preaching Podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message.
1: John chapter number two, we'll begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the waterpots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made, wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus and Cain of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the uh,
0: privilege that we've had to be together. And I thank you for uh, the help it has been to me just to hear the singing. And I thank you for the time of fellowship we have before church. Thank you for the Sunday school classes that met this morning. I pray right now that you'd bless all of our uh, bus ministry classes and our junior church and nurseries. And I pray especially for what takes place here in this auditorium. I pray that you'd work in our hearts. I thank you for those who are listening to this message online by uh, a way of the website or on the radio today. I pray that you'd uh, speak to them. I thank you for the power that is found in your word. Lord, I do not want to waste anyone's time today, and so I'm uh, certainly going to do my best to deliver the truth from your word that you've given me. I thank you that your word is powerful, and I thank you that your word has the answers uh, for every question and every problem of life. And I pray that you'd minister to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. John chapter 2 is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, It starts with a wedding. It's interesting that his public ministry before the cross, it ends at a funeral when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And I think it's very fitting that Jesus, he started his ministry, uh, public ministry at a wedding. He ended it at a funeral. And I got good news for you today. Jesus is interested in every aspect of your life as well. I'm glad that Jesus doesn't just get us started and then leave us to figure it out. I'm glad that he is with us always, even unto the end. I'm glad that Jesus doesn't just wait till the end and he kind of comes in and straightens things out. I'm glad that he is there at the beginning. He who hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for Jesus' involvement in our lives. Jesus is not just insurance that you get to say, well, I don't want to go to hell, and I want to go to heaven, so I'm going to trust Jesus to give me eternal life. Wonderful. Yes, you need to trust Jesus. He's the only way to heaven. But Jesus is not just someone that gets you to heaven. Jesus is someone that gets you through life. Jesus is someone that walks with you and and directs you every step of the way. We see in John chapter 2 these events, they took place in a little town called Cana of Galilee. Cana was located about eight or nine miles from Nazareth. Nazareth is where Jesus grew up. That was his hometown. Of course, he was born in Bethlehem. And then when his family moved back to Nazareth, when he was just a small child, he lived in Nazareth. And as far as we know, he was there until his ministry began at the age of 30 years old. Nazareth was a town of about 500 people. And Cana, about nine miles away, was a town that was even smaller. And so the people at this wedding were probably friends that knew Jesus, that grew up with Jesus. Perhaps there were family members. We know that they invited Jesus to the wedding, so somebody knew Jesus there. And it's interesting that Jesus began his ministry by proving to his friends and to his family who he was. Now, this is the first miracle that Jesus has performed. Now, I think it's amazing that Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he grew up in a home where his mother Mary and his earthly father figure, that was Joseph, but Jesus was not performing miracles until this time. Uh, Some of the children in this room, of course, those up to third grade have left, but those that are still in here. Can you imagine having the ability when your mother or your father says it's time to clean your room, can you imagine, ha- imagine having the ability that all you have to do is speak and it's done? All you have to do is snap your fingers and it's done? But he didn't do that. <laughs> he cleaned his room. Uh, he, 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 he did his work. He, he, he did what he was supposed to do. He didn't begin his miracles until this start of his ministry when the time was right. That's why he even told his mother in this passage, he said, "My hour is not yet come. Meaning that God does not operate on our demands. God is not a genie in a bottle that we call and we say, hey, I need you to do this for me. That's not it at all. God works in his time, in his way, and God answers prayer in his time and in his way. Have you ever had a prayer request you prayed for and you didn't get the answer right away? Anybody like that? My hand is up. And by the way, some of those requests got answered, but they weren't when I wanted them answered. How come? Because God has a plan and God has a timing and God has a program for our lives and and his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So here Jesus is called to a wedding his earthly ministry has just uh, begun. He has been baptized by John, as uh, Miss Cheryl uh, sung about, and of course, that dove that descended and a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now Jesus is starting to call disciples to follow him. In chapter one, he, he calls, and Nathaniel says, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> and Jesus says, Well, you're about to see. And three days later, here we are in John chapter 2, the marriage at Cana of Galilee. This is Jesus' first miracle. The Bible says in uh, Acts chapter 2, ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you. We see throughout Jesus' ministry, we see miracles, we see signs, we see wonders, miraculous things that Jesus did. You want to know why Jesus did those miracles? He did them, John chapter 20 tells us, he did them so that we would believe. He did those things to prove, to authenticate the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus didn't do miracles just to make life easier for people. He did miracles to prove who he was. John chapter 20 said uh, that that Jesus did these things so that ye might believe, and by believing ye might have life in his name. Jesus did these things not just so that we would believe for food or believe for, for drink or believe for this or that, but so that we would believe for eternal life. Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, and he proved it. Uh, through his miracles, who he was, the Son of God. I want you to notice quickly in this passage, i got a lot of things I want to say, uh, but I want to get you out on time. Number one, I see that this was a marriage. It says in chapter two that there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, chapter uh, two, verse two, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Marriage in the Bible is a very sacred event. By the way, marriage should still be sacred. You want to know why? Because it wasn't our idea. It was God's idea. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Marriage was a big deal to the Jews, and it was a big deal to God. Uh, marriage was a picture in the Bible of God's relationship with his people. Now, we know the New Testament account, right, where uh, the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We see the picture of marriage there with Christ and the church. Christ as the the, the bridegroom and the church as the bride. But it even goes further back. In the Old Testament, God spoke to his people and he, he spoke of them as a marriage covenant that he had with his people. When God's people turned to worship idols, we know that as idolatry, right? When people would worship false gods and turn away from the true God, that is idolatry. And God referred to that as spiritual adultery. When his people were not faithful to him, God referred to that as spiritual adultery. Now, we know what God says about adultery. Uh, Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Then in the New Testament, Jesus not only emphasized it, he took it a step further. He said, I say unto you, he that looketh on a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So please don't come to me and tell me, well, Jesus said we don't have to worry about all that stuff in the Old Testament. I say the opposite. I say, Jesus said we're not under the law, we're under grace, but we ought to hold ourselves to an even higher standard. In the Old Testament, you could say, well, I hate your guts, but I didn't touch you. (laughs) In the New Testament, Jesus said, if you hate your brother... You have, you, have, you, have, you have killed him in your heart. You, you have done it on the inside. And so we see that marriage is important to God. Marriage is important to God. It was instituted in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, but yet God uh, created them for each other. And uh, they, there was a, a, a husband and wife, and God brought children to this world. But we see that marriage is important jesus began his miracles at a wedding i like the fact that jesus was invited to the wedding isn't that a good thing isn't it great when jesus gets invited to the events of our lives isn't it good when we don't try to just say well we're gonna have time for jesus at church but monday through saturday i'm gonna do my own thing i think jesus ought to be involved in everything i think jesus ought to be a part of your home I think you ought to be a part of your marriage. I think you ought to be a part of your job. I think you ought to be a part of your hobby. I think you ought to be a part of your parenting. I think Jesus ought to be a part of every area of your life. That in all things, the Bible says, he might have the preeminence. Jesus should be first place in everything we do. I heard one preacher say it like this. In your home, Jesus does not desire to be merely a resident, but he desires to be president. And Jesus should be the ruler, and Jesus should be the Lord of your home and of your life. There was a marriage. Secondly, I see in this passage, there was a mistake. Now, the mistake was not that there was a marriage. That was a good thing. Uh, The mistake was that something at the wedding did not go according to plan. Now, I'm sure we could go around the room, and I'm sure we could talk about, what was something at your wedding, or what was something at your graduation, or what was something at some big event that didn't go right? Uh, My wife and I, we still talk about uh, our wedding. And uh, the only mistake I made was that I didn't marry her sooner. That was the only mistake I made. How many of you fellas know what I'm talking about? That would have been a good place to raise your hand, fellas. I set you up gave you the opportunity and a few of you you were a little slow getting it up there um but there was a mistake one mistake one mistake was um uh i had ordered the the, the tuxedo and it didn't come exactly like it's supposed to be and i made the decision i'm not even going to tell i'm not going to tell joanna about it i didn't want her to stress it uh at the reception there was something else that wasn't according to how we planned but it was okay everything went well the other mistake i made at our wedding is that i uh, had my car key for our car. I had my car key and I trusted the groomsmen that I had in my wedding. Not very much, but I trusted them. And uh, one of my groomsmen was uh, Brother Dan Bybee. And uh, yeah, some of you know where this is going right now, don't you? And he talked my brother Joel into finding the key that I had hidden. And he got hold of that key and the groomsmen thought it would be a blessing to me if they would fill my, my car with balloons and uh, toilet paper all over the car and uh, chocolate cream all over my car, and it was, it was a disaster. It was just a mess. That next day, I think I spent about $20 and quarters trying to spray off the junk that was caked on the car from all that whipped cream and all that stuff. But anyway, that was a mistake, um, and uh, I'm still working on forgiveness. If you'd pray with me about that, I'm trying to overcome Uh, bitterness. But you know, there was a mistake at this wedding. Somebody messed up. Somebody dropped the ball. Maybe they didn't have enough to drink. Maybe more guests came than they expected. (laughs) Maybe the guests that they invited uh, drank more than what they thought they were going to do, but they ran out of wine. And somebody comes and they say, hey, we have a problem. Now, how many of you know that's not the end of the world, but it's embarrassing, isn't it? It'd be frustrating when we have church events. I tell our staff and I tell our volunteers. We got a lot of folks that help with uh, with meals. I always say this. I would rather have too much food and we have to send some food home or send it with shut ins or do something. But but I do not want to run out of food. It's a bad feeling. Have you ever been at an event and you're you're gauging? You can see how much food is on the table and you can see how long the line is and you're doing the math. You're like, this is not going to work. And let me tell you, people, people are particular about their food. But I think especially at a Baptist church, I just think Baptist people, I just think we really love to eat, you know. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but, well, it is to us. I mean, we enjoy it. But you don't want to run out of food. And here they are at this wedding. They've invited their friends and family. This has been planned for a year. This is a celebration that's lasting several days. And they have run out of wine. And that is a problem. Don't you know what would have been a happy occasion all of the sudden probably turned to be frustrating? People are rejoicing and then all of a sudden it's, oh, what are we going to do? Where are we going to get this? And and what should have been a joyful time maybe turned into a frustrating time. Have you ever been there in your marriage? Have you ever been there in your family? Have you ever been there in your Christian life where it's not like it's the end of the world, but, but you're frustrated? Uh, there's something that is robbing your joy there is something that is keeping you from having the joy of the lord and and, and it's a problem it's something that that needs to be fixed this past christmas i did it again i I like to do it with the kids at christmas time Uh, i like to watch the old christmas cartoons how many of you like the old christmas cartoons like uh frosty the snowman i'm talking about like the old ones they're they're hilarious actually to watch But this past Christmas, I was watching with uh, my kids. I was watching the old 1964 Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know, I mean, that was like cutting-edge animation back then. And you see it now, and it is hilarious. But there's a part in that, and this is not in the Bible, okay? This is just the illustration I'm giving for this point. Um, But there's a part in that cartoon where there is an elf. His name is Hermie. And Hermie is working in the workshop making toys. But Hermie is not happy making toys. He's, he's discouraged. He's depressed. He wants to do something else. And he tells the, the head elf, he says, uh, that, uh, that he said, I don't, I don't enjoy making toys. And the head elf I mean goes berserk on him. He said, well, what's the problem? And Hermie, the elf, the toy maker, he says, I'm not happy in my work. And the head elf says, not happy in your work? Well, what do you want to do? And this is, Melissa, I told you I was going to say this just so I didn't catch you off guard. He said, I'd like to be a dentist. Now, Now, friend, there's a lot of things in cartoons that don't make sense, but that's one that's always puzzled me, okay? If you could be making toys, why would you want to go and be a dentist? And nothing against dentists and and dental assistants. They're wonderful people. But if you could be making toys, and, and he says, you know, we don't have a dentist here at the North Pole and blah, 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 all that stuff. Here's what I'm saying. How depressing it would have to be to be an elf who doesn't like to make toys. And how sad it is to be a Christian that doesn't like to serve the Lord how sad it would have to be to have a God in heaven that loves you he sent his son to die for you you have eternal life you've got a a word of God that is inspired infallible it is inerrant you've got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you you've got the promise of God you've got the rewards of heaven you've got all of that and you would not and I would not enjoy serving the Lord. Friend, I want to tell you, we're missing it because the Christian life is the greatest life in all the world. And it's not supposed to be miserable. It's not supposed to be drudgery. It's not supposed to be torture. Now, there's some Sundays where you're doing everything you can just to get to church. I understand that. There's some days where maybe you don't feel like praying or you don't feel like reading your Bible, but serving God Is the greatest life. That's where there is more joy in serving God than this world will ever know. I'd rather have a bad day serving God than a good day out in the world. And I want to tell you, many Christians have lost their joy. Somebody's messed up. Somebody made a mistake. Uh, Something didn't go according to plan. But Jesus was there to take a mistake and to take a problem. And Jesus had the ability to fix the problem. Aren't you glad that Jesus can fix your problem? Aren't you glad he can fix my problem? Aren't you glad he cares about our problems? I see number one, a marriage. Number two, I see there was a mistake. But number three, I want you to see there was a mother. Now, this mother, the Bible tells us in chapter two that when she heard that there was no wine, she immediately went to Jesus. That's a good thing to do when there's a problem just go straight to Jesus we often go straight to Facebook and straight to the phone and straight to texting and straight to email and uh, straight to telling our our co and our neighbor all and, and I'm not against telling people and asking people to pray and people can help you but why is it that when we have problems many times we don't go to Jesus and he's the one that can fix it and Mary said she said hey Jesus we got a problem And she let Jesus know about the problem. Mary had not seen a miracle like this before, but she knew who Jesus was. She knew what God had done in her life. She remembered the angel coming and giving her the message. She had given birth to the Son of God, and that which was conceived in her was of the Holy Ghost. She remembered the the shepherds coming and she remembered the wise men coming with the gifts and she remembered the time that Jesus was in the temple when he was 12 years old and he was answering the questions and asking questions and astonishing the doctors and lawyers. This Mary, she had Jesus in her home while he was a child and a teenager and she knew there was something special about him. She believed that Jesus could fix the problem. Number four, I see quickly, I see a message. Not only a a, a marriage and a mistake and a mother, but I see a message she told the servants. Chapter uh, two and verse five, his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, what are the last two words in verse five? Do it. That's profound. Hey, just do it. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And that's good advice for us. And that's a great challenge for us. You know, you won't always understand what Jesus tells you to do. You won't always understand why you're supposed to do something, but you do it. And I do it. Uh, The message that she told the servants is whatever he tells you to do, do it. This is our message as parents. This is our message as teachers and preachers and workers. This is our message. You don't do something because I told you to do it. You do it because the Bible says to do it. You say, well, what about parents? Shouldn't children obey parents? Yes. And where do we get that? (laughs) From the Bible. Uh, Are are we supposed to obey those in authority? Well, yeah, the law says so. But the Bible says so. The Bible says we are to be uh, subject to those in authority and submit ourselves to the authority. Uh, Why do we pray? Because the Bible tells us we're supposed to pray. Why do we give? Why do we serve? Why do we go to church? Uh, Why do we confess our sins? Because the Bible says that's what we're supposed to do. And friend, that's our message today. Uh, Don't do what I tell you to do, but do what the Bible tells you to do. Follow the word of God. That's the message. I want you to see quickly number five, the method. So Jesus, he tells those servants Verse number uh, 7, he says, fill the water pots with water. Now, verse number 6 tells us there were six water pots. Each of those water pots, they they believe, could have held 20 to 30 gallons. Those are pretty big water pots. And they had them there for this reason. Whenever the Jews had any kind of a feast or a celebration or, or a wedding like this, they made sure that there was water so that they could wash their hands. They could wash their utensils. They had water on hand so that the feet could be washed. They were, they were very much into uh, to, to the, 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 the cleansing, but also to the ritual. That was what they were supposed to do. So there's these water pots, and they've got some water, but that water was not drinking water, I'll guarantee you. That water was for hands and for feet and for utensils. And Jesus says, take those water pots and fill them with water. I wonder if the servants were thinking, we don't need water. We've already got that. We've got plenty of water to, to, to wash hands and feet and all that. We need something to drink. But yet Jesus said, fill The water pots, six water pots, 30 gallons apiece. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of of lifting. That's that's hard. That's difficult. But I want you to notice, what did they do? Verse number uh, seven. And they filled them up to the what? The brim. I love that. They didn't fill them up halfway. They didn't fill them up three-fourths. They didn't fill them up 90%. They filled them up to the brim. And friend, hallelujah, when God's people say, I'm just going to do what God says, and I'm going to do all of it. I'm not going to be half-hearted. I'm going to do it with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. I'm going I'm to, if he says to fill them up, I'm filling them up to the brim. That is the method. They did what Jesus told them to do, even though it didn't make a lick of sense. Did you know in the Christian life, there are some things that don't make sense? There are some things that we can't figure out. But here's the good news. You don't have to figure it out. And I don't have to understand it. And we don't have to know all the reasons. We simply walk by faith and not by sight. You see, Jesus used some ordinary servants. The Bible doesn't even tell us the names of these servants. It doesn't tell us if they had any particular skill. The Bible tells us Jesus used some ordinary water pots. These were water pots that were just there, they were available and Jesus took what was ordinary and Jesus took what was available and he used it. Aren't you glad that God uses ordinary things? Aren't you glad God uses ordinary average people? When God called Moses, he said, Moses, he said, what is that in thine hand? And Moses said, it's a rod. That's all it was, it was just a rod. But God said, that's what I'm gonna use. When David was just a, a, a little boy and he had that sling and he had that stone, it was that that God used. Gideon was just the least of his father's house, but yet God chose Gideon to lead the Israelites to victory over the midnights. God uses ordinary people. God used a little boy, we don't know his name, but he had a lunch. He had those little little uh, loaves and those little fishes, and he just said, "You can have my lunch." With that lunch, Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children with just one little lunch. Jesus used ordinary fishermen to turn the world upside down. I'm glad that God has a method, and his method is he uses people that are willing and people that will obey and people that are available for his use. There's a method. They took those water pots. They filled them. Then Jesus said in verse 8, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. Now, let's be honest. That's where some of us would have drawn the line. We said, Jesus, we're willing to do it, but can't we at least taste test it first before we go and give it to the guy in charge? The governor of the feast, that's going to be so embarrassing. We're going to take him and say, hey, governor, would you like the best thing we got to drink? And he takes a drink of dirty water that's being used for hand washing, but you know what they did? If Jesus said to draw it out and give it to him, it's exactly what we'll do. They obeyed. They did what God said. They didn't ask questions. They didn't argue. They obeyed. You know it makes life so simple, doesn't it? When you just realize that all you have to do is follow Jesus. He knows the way. He's the leader. He's the organizer. He's the planner. He's the one that's directing and leading every step. And all you have to do and all I have to do is follow him. Lastly, I'll say this, there was a miracle. The Bible says that the governor of the feast, he he, he drank of that water that was turned to wine and he knew not whence it was. He had never had anything like that before. Verse number 10, and he saith unto him, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. You see, this is so contrary to how we operate. You know what we do? We give our very best first, and then it's usually downhill after that, right? But Jesus never, ever gives his best, and then it gets worse. Jesus gives you something good, and it just keeps getting better and better and better, and better. You know, that's what serving God is all about. You get saved, salvation is wonderful. But when you get to know the Lord, boy, it just gets sweeter and sweeter. It just gets better and better. The more you know Him, the more you love Him, the more you walk with the Lord, uh, the more you realize how good He really is. We see there's a miracle. The miracle is that Jesus took a messed up situation. He took a mistake that people had made, and He turned that mistake into a miracle miracle. You say, why? Why did Jesus do this miracle? Notice verse number 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. You know why Jesus does miracles? He does miracles so that he gets the glory. When Jesus does a miracle in your life, in my life, you know what's so important? That we don't take the credit but that he gets all the glory. When something good happens to us and God does something miraculous, then we are very quick to say, hey, friend, I want to tell you, I had nothing to do with that. That was all God. He is the one who gets all of the glory for what he has done in our lives. And it says in verse number 11, this beginning of miracles. Now, Jesus, in John chapter 2, Jesus was just getting started. You see, this was water, that was turned into wine. But before you know it, Jesus is going to be healing the blind. Jesus is going to be healing the lame. He's going to be raising the dead and Jesus is going to come back from the dead himself. This was just the beginning. And I want to say this, that Jesus is just getting started in your life in my life. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. He's not getting low on power. He's not getting tired. He's not getting old. He's not getting worn out. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm glad that He is a God that has power to do what is impossible in our eyes. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org.